Welcome to the Hobcast Book Show, a weekly podcast from Hobeck Books, an independent publisher of thrillers, crime, mystery and suspense novels. Each week, we'll take you behind the scenes of what we do, the challenges and the triumphs, the bumps and troughs of running a creative business in this challenging world. We'll hear from the people who make this possible, the authors, the cover designers and editors, and we'll have expert insights from our guest star interviews. Nothing is off the agenda on the Hopcast Book Show from Hobet Books, as we combine trad values and an indie spirit. Hello. And welcome to the Hobcast Book Show. It is episode 146 of the show. My name's Adrian Hobart. My name's Rebecca Collins. And together we run Hobeck Books, UK independent publishers of the following four genres. Mysteries. Suspense. And um, thrillers. And crime. (laughs) I was hoping to throw you by adding an and. You didn't. For once. (laughs) You've been throwing me all morning, but no, not 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 this time. And that's wrestling. Yeah, indeed. Uh, listen, thank you for joining us on the show. And our guest this week is another change to the schedule. Everyone's ill at the moment. They need yeah, to stop it. it, it has, <laughs> do you know, we've had four episodes in a row where we've had to find last minute replacements. Is it as many as that? Yeah, it is. I thought it was three. No, well. Well, anyway, it's, it's a, lot. a lot. In a row as well. And it's always been ill health. Yeah, um, or some sort of other. Uh, well, yeah, there's a lot of it about. Uh, so thank you to Donna Morfitt for se- stepping in for her second visit to the show. And that's fresh from her very own personal crime writing festival in Brighton. Yes. So the dark side of Brighton, which was uh, last weekend, wasn't it? It was. But we have some really interesting chats with Donna, not just about um, festivals. We, and We but, pushed it. We pushed it wide. Yeah, we just made it a bit more discussed. Discuss, discussive, discuss, discursive, <laughs> yes, discursive about crime writing, um, you know, the trends and the market and that sort of thing. And so yeah. it was a good discussion, yeah, it was an entertaining chat. Yeah. And uh, so Donna joins us a wee bit later. Okay, we'll go into uh, our usual thing of publishing news. And um, the, the big one for me, and the one that you, you, you sort of read this out to me uh, a couple of nights ago. I did, because I knew you'd be excited by this. No, I was not. No, not in a happy excitement, but no, in a definitely not. agitated. But why would you do that just before you went to bed? Because I couldn't no, sleep. No, you were sat there. We were watching TV. I know we were, but it was about 10 o'clock at night. And you said, oh, 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 you'll like this. And it was the announcement that KDP, Kindle Direct Publishing, uh, are doing a beta test in the United States, of auto audiobook narration for independent authors. And what they're doing is they're inviting certain authors to use this new system to have their books automatically generated with narrators and they can choose the voices from a, a pool of uh, oh, you know, like, machine-learned like, like voices. When you, like with Satnav, when you used to be able to choose Australian Ken. or Yeah, well, yeah, a little bit like that. Anyway, um, so this is a <laughs> this is not a surprise in many ways. However, um, I think that Amazon and Audible had been for a couple of years enjoying a halo uh, around themselves 
from the narrator community and indeed the audiobook community because hitherto they had said they were never or they weren't prepared and the rules were you couldn't have an auto an AI narrated book on Audible but as someone pointed out a few weeks ago don't think for a minute this is because they're anti the principle it's because they're working on their own system and so it has now proven and so what it is is that there is a big debate now in the United States because uh, narrators in the United States are in fact unionized they're part of SAG-AFTRA the, 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 the Screen Actors Guild and that has protected rates for narrators. There is a minimum amount that you will be paid if you're working uh, for a United States production company. And that has sort of protected incomes. But uh, in the background to this, what KDP is saying is that this is not to do with the um, Audible Creative Exchange, where I started my career picking up work from there. ACX. ACX. I was yeah. going to say some people might not actually connect that with. No, a... ACX is a is a marketplace where narrators and authors meet. Um, now, that wasn't subject to those um, rates of pay. No, you know, it was much much more uh, well much cheaper for for people to get their books made. Which is why a lot of self published authors do go to ACX. Right now they can in the United States at least, the starting the process of launching AI narrated books and they will go on to Audible. Now, this is a really significant change in many ways. Um, it's it's open to question how effective it's going to be, but you can pretty much guarantee it's going to be okay. Whether or not it's going to deliver the emotional heft that you expect from your books, I don't know. But it is definitely not something that I would welcome as a narrator. No, of course not, because it impinges on your um, earning career. So. Yeah, absolutely, in my opportunities. I mean, they, they, you know, they, people will still pay a premium for someone to narrate their books if that's what they want to to achieve. You know, from a from a quality point of view, um, and an artistic interpretation or a particular voice that you like. Um, and I know that having been in the booth for a lot of this week doing some middle grade fiction particularly just how challenging it is to create all the different voices that you need to deliver a particular story now and a single ai voice simply couldn't do what i've just been doing this week not at the moment no no but it will happen eventually mm. but uh i don't think it's a particularly welcome um move i think it is disingenuous of amazon what a surprise yeah i mean they're in the business to make money and to help people publish on their platform because if they publish on the platform, they make more money. So Yeah, look, the flip, no... <laughs> the flip side is if I were an author, couldn't afford to do audiobooks, then I can I can generate some income from it, then happy days. You know, that's the way you're going to look at it. Well, I mean, it, it's actually relevant to the interview we had with Donna today. We we're talking about self-publishing and she said she just hasn't got the money to do any marketing. But this is an example of something... If she were to self-publish and she wanted an audio version, she could do it this mm. way. Yeah, and look, and let's be honest. I mean, there are, you know, um, probably three quarters of our Hobart books are not in audio yet because, A, I you know, haven't personally done them yet or, um, you know, we can't afford to do, to find the rates that suit the, the titles is the truth of it. And, um, 
you know, I don't think we would rush to do it. I mean, we were in a conversation uh, at Rachel McLean's wedding. I was having a conversation with a, with another figure in the in the industry who was saying, well, why don't you just go to ACX and get people to do royalty share? Because I don't believe that royalty share is a good principle. I don't think that uh, it's fair for narrators because you get paid so little. You, pr- you know, I have done royalty share, and I think the most things that I've ever... You know, the, cop- the book that did the most sales was a Clive Wood. My very first project, which was a Clive Woodward biography, and that sold four hundred and fifty copies, of which I got twenty percent of those royalties. So, you know, it's you can not, work that out. It's, it's not, not. It's it's peanuts, and mm. I mean, you know, I'm not. It's it's not worth it. It's worth it as a start, as a starting point, and and I, you know, did half a dozen projects like that to get going, but it's not a living. And so I, I wouldn't expect, I would not expect narrators to work for Hoback for that sort of return. It's just not fair. So uh, we're not going to go down that route. But it, it is, it is another signal, big move within the industry with AI. And in fact, unfortunately, behind the paywall of the bookseller, we we've um, not paid for our subscription because uh, we don't think it's good value for money, really. Um, truthfully, you can see two free articles a week, but one of the ones that they put behind the paywall is uh, a new set of co- uh, guidelines that uh, publishers in the UK are putting together for AI uh, and its use. So uh, interesting, but we'll we'll find out eventually. That will emerge, I'm mm. sure. Anyway, that's the big sort of um, big development. But yeah, the biggest biggest news. It, I mean, the thing about AI, it's one of those things where there's no point fighting it on an individual level because we're just never going to win. No, we're not. <laughs> but it's what what's happening with the you know, and the, there's been this big um, conference at Bletchley Park, which was put together by the British government and Rishi Sunak in particular has put his stamp all over it, um, where people have been talking about the dangers of AI and the number of jobs that are going to be, you know, job roles that are going to disappear from the economy because of AI replacing them. And, you know, the thing is with the AI creators, they're just saying there, well, look, you know, you have to change your attitude to accept it. And that's it, tough. But it feels a bit like, you know, the Luddites shoving things in machines. Well, it, it is. And we were talking about this the other day, how the, the current model of capitalism, a capitalist economy as it exists now, is not going to exist in 20, 30 years' time. Well, not even five years' time. In five years' right. time. And it's another industrial... Well, it's another revolution. So we've, we had the agricultural revolution. I mean, then we had the industrial revolution. Um, and this is like, a, I guess, a technology revolution. Mm. So things are going to change beyond recognition and what's the point of fighting it because you're going to lose well the the point is what happened to the luddites <laughs> well yeah but what where does a human creator sit in that world in the future because once people accept that ai generated content is here to stay and they're prepared to actually pay for it that really means that the people who you know the original artists what what's left then you know there's all sorts of different elements of creativity that ai is now replacing but but one thing you just said is it's not just that side of the economy there's so many elements in the economy Mm. where people's livelihoods and their careers are going to be 
uh, replaced by AI. So it's not just the creators, the creative people, mm. the designers, the writers. It's like... well, I mean, if you think about the uh, the one industry that is uh, perhaps most obvious is, is a lot of legal work. Ah, yeah, and medical With, yeah, as well. Yeah, and that's going to get replaced. And um, you know, so paralegals, anyone doing um, conveyancing, for instance. I mean, what's the point of that if, um, you know, an AI can do it? It, it, You know, that's going to... And there will... It'll be a rush to... um, I mean, the the sort of current economic model is to try and replace expensive people with systems Mm -hmm. as fast as possible. So... Uh, this is this is a, still a, a battle worth. And in, the interesting thing is, we talk about AI. If you think about it, um, this week, the significant cultural moment—it's uh, an arguable thing—but anyway, the Beatles released "Now and Then," which is the last ever song the Beatles will put out. So this is a song you've just played to me without and, telling me any context. Yes. And you said, who's that? Tears for Fears. And I said, oh, this is a bit dreary. It sounds like Tears for Fears. Right. Well, it was the Beatles. Um, <laughs> sort of. And I say sort of because um, for those who haven't been following the sort of provenance of Now and Then, it starts with a demo tape recorded in 1975 on a cassette by John Lennon, his voice and piano. He was tinkling around trying to sort of work up a song. The lyrics are fairly scant. It's um, it's got some interesting key changes and, and and chord sequences in it. It's a melancholy song. It is and very. Yoko, Yoko Ono gave that tape to the Beatles in the nineties, but they couldn't use it because the voice and the piano were too closely entwined. Audio, they couldn't separate the two. Until now. And the reason they could do it now is because Peter Jackson, the director of The Lord of the Rings, etc., etc., and They Shall Not Grow Old, used the technology. They also, he also put out that massive uh, umpteen hours of Get Back, the film, uh, recently on, on Apple. Um, basically, used new technology which allowed them to machine learn John Lennon's vocal part and recreate his voice without the piano in the background. And then they worked from there and added strings and a bit of George Harrison playing guitar from before he died. And, you know, uh, Ringo's put new drums on it. And and, uh, Paul McCartney's singing um, backing vocals, slide guitar, all sorts of things on there, and the bass, of course. I look forward to the live version. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's, 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 you know, AI allowed that to happen. And it's... Some people are raving about it, saying it's a fantastic song, and others are saying it's just dreary. That's what I said, yeah, yeah. sorry. Um, and it sort of grows on you. I was dreaming about it last night for some reason. It's got in my head. But it is not really a beat. I don't think John, I mean, the, his son Sean has said, oh, John would approve of technology bringing him back and mm. bring, reuniting him with his mates. Yeah, really? I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. But anyway, that's... AI being used, and as we've discussed before, you know, I would recommend you going onto YouTube just to find out how effective it is in recreating, taking Noel Gallagher's solo (laughs) project, High Flying Birds, and putting Liam's voice on it so it sounds like an Oasis album. It's incredible. Isn't this an example, though, of a creative person using AI to create something? Yes. Yes, it is. Look, I'm not 
we've used lots of AI tools, you know, in various different, because it's, it's all over the Adobe suite now. It's all over things like Canva. You know, AI is playing a part in those things that we use for our business. It, and, and it's increasingly using it. And obviously AI is very, very important in terms of, um, you know, the online model of finding anything online now. So, you know, it's it's part of our lives. There's no getting away from it. But I think that if it's creating content that means that creators no longer, you know, if it's something that a creator can use to make something original, fine, and speed that process up to some degree, great. But if it's a question of replacing other creative humans in the process completely and making them redundant i'm not that keen on it as simple as that really but it's just isn't it just a case of reducing the number of hours spent on a task and therefore making it cheaper uh, to a degree look i'm still looking for things that can help me do audio editing quicker and there, there isn't a system there are one or two things that have come in with it but i'm not because editing is as much about the choices that you make in your edit that I, I'm not keen on using it because I pride myself on knowing how to make something sound as if there hasn't been an edit mm. or in when I'm narrating audio, a performance that I've put in, if I'm not happy with the length of pause that I put in, in the original performance, then I'll adjust it. And, you know, I might lengthen it or shorten it for emphasis or for, uh, or I'll shorten it to give, whatever i've read and performed greater energy and that's a that's a creative choice mm. that's a, that's a taste you know that's my using my knowledge and taste well i think you should enjoy it while you can mm. so does the other news item that we were discussing just before we started this podcast actually and it's got had me thinking quite a lot is something you found out about um a scheme that wh smiths are starting yeah it was announced this week um they are partnering wh smiths um are launching a new book service with buyback company Zircle. Zircle um, will be offering customers the opportunity to swap their second-hand books for money off their next purchase with a WH Smith e-gift card. So here's the principle. You go onto the website, you say what books you've got, and it says we will give you X amount for the... You enter the ISBN, basically. Uh, okay. And you uh, tell them what the condition of said copy of whatever book it is. To give you an example of how much you might be getting back. So, for instance, this week's number one book in the UK is the Britney Spears autobiography. Now, so sec- is that the number one in the charts at the moment? Yes. Yeah. So if you were to offer that to Zirkle via WH Smith, they would pay you £3.10 for that book. And it's hardback, is it? It's hardback. Yeah. So this is hardback, currently the bestseller in the UK. So if you read it, you bought it, you read it really quickly and you wanted to... Um, recycle it. Recycle it straight away, you'd get £3.10 now. Okay. Right. If you were to offer Richard Osman's Thursday Murder Club, which they're, you know... We have a copy somewhere, yeah. yeah. There's, there's, you know, there's two million paperback copies been sold or something in this country. You get 30p. Oh, that's the paperback? Yeah. Okay. So that's the sort of rate of return what were they get. doing with these books though they're not putting them back into w smith are they, they... No, they're finding they have they have 
what they're nebulously describing um, recycling distribution channels. Oh, it's probably, you know, like when you see on Amazon, um, available from secondhand, yeah, third party. I, I don't know quite. I mean, Zickle aren't very clear on that. No. And I went on their website after hearing about them for the first time, and it's still under construction, which is a little odd. Yeah, okay. But essentially, they're offering any cultural media. They're offering retailers the chance to partner with them. So this would be CDs, video games, the whole lot, mm. recycling the whole thing. And this is W. Smith's point of view. They say that it's important for them. Uh, this is a very exciting new scheme for W.H. Smith, says Ian Sanders, who's their development director. And it makes great sense for our customers and our business to support a circular economy for books. Yeah, and I see the point, you know, recycling of books in terms of um, not just getting thrown away, fine. But does will it, will it affect charity shop donations, do you think? Because I'm a big fan of... Oh, well, I think it will. I don't know if it will, because, I mean, it's still a bit of a faff. It's easy to put a bag of books through the door of a charity shop. And you feel good about it. Yeah, than it is to go and individually research each ISBN and put it on a website and then then take Nancy W. Smith's and do it that way. But some people will do that. Yeah, no, I know. And if we were to recycle all the books in our house... La, 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 (laughs) la. Uh, the 4,000 books that we have knocking around la, here. La, la, we la. Could, you're not saying that. You know, we you? could pay for Christmas. No, you're not saying that. You, I didn't hear that. It makes sense. <laughs> this place is cluttered. We should get rid of I mean, we should recycle. No, I'm very attached to my books. Thank you very much. I know you are. You could do it with yours if you like. Oh, there, I knew you'd say that. There we go. Right. Well, let's get to the interview with Donna because otherwise we're going to. Well, we'll, we'll fall out during the interview and we'll come back in 40 minutes' time or so. Uh, in a in a in a different mood, uh, maybe. Who 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 knows? Anyway, Donna Morfitt, as you know, um, is one of the most energetic supporters of the UK crime scene. There is, there's no other way to put it. She's a star. Yes, she is. And um, Donna organised. You you described it. Like, you know this fantastic festival. She, I mean, this is all off her own bat and at her own risk. And this, you know, shows how passionate she is about supporting UK, especially the independent sector, where she brought together some of the big names of the indie world, of the trad world, with the rising stars of the indie world, at her uh, uh, event in Brighton last week at the Old Ship Hotel. Amazing um, you know, dedication to the cause, but also she is one of uh, the most prolific bloggers and um, reviewers. In the country. Yeah, she always says yes to our books. Absolutely. Well, she explains why she feels that way. <laughs> but um, it is always a pleasure to speak to her because, you know, if anyone has spotting trends in what's happening in the UK crime scene, and given that she knows pretty much everyone in the UK crime scene because um, she makes sure that she tries to get them on her Facebook page, then uh, it's Donna. So let's talk to Donna Morfitt. Well, it's so lovely to have a return visit from Donna Morfitt. Thank you so much for joining us, Donna. And jumping at the last minute. You're very welcome. I'm very glad to see you keep saying good luck. I know. I said it by email. I think I got her worried. Well, look, I'll tell you what. (laughs) I mean, you're a glutton for punishment because, A, you're the second time on the Hobcast. It's just a week after your busiest weekend of the year when you were hosting an event in Brighton. And third thing. Oh, there's a third thing. Go on. Well, you've got another random question to face. So, uh, And I thought of it in the bath just now. 
Uh, I don't have another one because I think Rebecca started it the week after I done it last time. So this is oh. you missed it, didn't you? Yeah. You missed it. Okay. Right. Okay. Well, well, in which case, you're reversing it's your to this. first random question. Ha -ha. <laughs> well, Donna, look, it's lovely to speak to you, and um, let's just reflect on last weekend. Then, I mean, you know, it must have been pretty mental, but. What a fantastic cast of authors you drew to Brighton last week. Yeah, um, I know, me and my bright ideas. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it seemed to go really well, which is nice. Um, yeah, it was great. Really good fun um, and really tiring. <laughs> what magic do you employ to persuade? <laughs> now, we, we remember. <laughs> what, what magic? No, no, we witnessed, we witnessed the magic at Harrogate. When you got into Mark Billingham. Oh, that was funny, yes, yeah. And <laughs> oh, no yes. choice but to come. But I don't know if did he make it? Did he did he welch? No. Um what was he doing? I can't remember. I asked him again and something to do with um getting the schedules right with his wife. Um so yeah, he didn't make it. Even though I told him that he was. I mean huh. <laughs> Well uh... He's not going to wriggle next year, that's for sure. Are you going to do it again? Yes, um, I already have the date planned. Um, so, yes, I'm doing it in March. I mean, that, that's quite soon, though. Because uh, <laughs> I, I saw your post and I thought you were saying you were having a break. And then it said, until March. And I thought, how <laughs> much of a break? Well, I'm going to do this one in March and then I'm going to leave it a year to do the next one. But I will keep doing it but um this one the one that i done last february was a breeze this february actually was an absolute breeze but this one in october was a lot more difficult and i don't know if it was because of the weather because of half term there's a lot of illness a lot of covid so yeah so i wonder if sticking to the earlier part of the year might be better Maybe. there's also this factor that uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, because if you're in February or March or whatever, that's the beginning of the season, if you like, for festivals, isn't it, and gatherings. Whereas, let's be honest, October is the tail end. Everyone's, you know, done bloody Scotland and uh, capital crime is knocking around. And, you know, there might be a little fatigue growing in there. Yeah, um, you've only got Iceland Noir left and then Newcastle Noir. Um, in December, but yeah, everything else is pretty much done. Although Capital Crime is moving next year to the end of May, so that's going to be a lot sooner. Oh, it's not going to clash possibly with um, the Bristol one. Yeah, Crime Fest. I don't think so. Um, was it the end of? Yeah, I think well, it's we'll crime. check the dates. But anyway, that's an interesting. So, um, and, you know, it could be that there's a crossover there. That some of the American authors come over for both. Yeah, that's true. That's a good um, point. That would that would be uh, that would be a good thing. But in terms of who you did manage to get there, um, take us through it. I mean, because it was pretty impressive. So I had um, on the Saturday, I had Rasim Khan and Abby Mukherjee closing um, for me. So they just had a chat, and then on Sunday, I had David Fennell, Ellie Griffiths, William Shaw, Leslie Thompson. Um, they're sort of the bigger names, and then all my indies. Yeah, on, who, give, well, give some of your indies because we we know well. Uh, is he an indie? Have... He's published with us. Yeah, yeah. Lovely <laughs> Brian Price, who is yours. Um, Malcolm was supposed to do it, and then he had to cancel. Um, I had Alex Shaw. Um, Alex Shaw, Alex Scarrow. Oh yeah, yeah. 
uh, T.G. Reid, um, Lee Russell, Graham Bartlett, William Shaw. Uh, blimey, I can't remember. It's about thirty, I think, altogether. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, what keeping um, an eye on the posts on on the Facebook page, and you know, when you were announcing all the authors, and and I was like, wow, because I, I do think you have magic dust <laughs> that you sprinkle but, on top of them. It was the easy bit. They also just said yes as soon as I asked him. There was never any hesitation. There was never any question. And as soon as someone dropped out, I had people um, offering to step in. And I ended up having a bit of a reserve list. I had a couple of people. So Chris Curran stepped in at the last minute um, because um, she had asked me a couple of weeks before if there was any spaces on the panel, she'd love to do it. And then as it turned out, a couple of people dropped out. So I could offer her a space. So I think she stepped in on the Monday before um, it took place. It was mad. Yeah. Do you think that's because crime writers are just, I mean, we say this quite often, don't we? They're just lovely people and they want to talk about what they're passionate about, which is their writing, their books, their readers. And so they will just do these things um, in their own time because they love it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I couldn't offer them anything for coming. Um, you know, and the parking in Brighton was extortionate, which I didn't quite realise. And yet they all thanked me for asking them and I'm thinking that you're some of the biggest crime writers in the country like I'm so grateful for you doing this you know and, and yet you're thanking me it was weird no, that's it's brilliant um and I saw a lovely post <laughs> of Abir and Vasim on the shingle of the beat oh did you oh, yeah okay. it was like it was sort of I don't know it was like a crime writer's version of it looked like the, the sort of fight scene at the end of Quadrophenia between the mods and the rockers, <laughs> um, you know, without the deck chairs flying. But, you know, similar, similar vibe, I felt. Uh, <laughs> they were like an old married couple. They are, they are. They're just at each other, but they're so lovely. Obviously, a, a deep respect for each other. But mm. when they spoke, they were just, just like an old married couple, proper taking the key out of each other. It was very funny. Yeah, they're great. They're great. Well, look, I mean, congratulations, because that's a heck of an undertaking alongside all the other things that you do. And you've got your day job as well. So um, what what drives you to do it? Because there must be times when people are dropping out or uh, yeah. with the venue, whatever it might be. But just before. You're thinking, why, <laughs> why did I put my head in the noose for this? You know, but it, what, what motivates you to do it? It's a good question. Um I think it was giving indies a platform. You know, you know the same as I do. You go to um, Harrogate and um, Capital Crime, Bloody Scotland's. Um, it's all about the traditionally published authors. Indies don't get a look in, but you know, I'm friends with so many indie authors, and they just don't get that chance to have their say, to be on a panel, you know, and to get people to to know about them and their book. So. That was part of the reason. The part, other part was just scratching an itch to see if I could do it, I think, which is the crazy part that I wish someone would take away from me. But, yeah, mostly it was to get um, the indie authors to have a voice. Um, and I've, I figured that I need some of the bigger names to sell the tickets, but people were as excited to meet the indies, like Tony Forder, although he couldn't make it, but they're as excited to meet him as they are some of the bigger names. So I know that I'm doing the right thing, I think. Getting 
Also, we get gives them a chance to integrate with each other, those authors. So the traditionally published authors with the indie authors and give each other tips. And because independent authors, some of them are more successful, sell more books, have a bigger readership than some of the traditionally published authors. Um, so, you know, I think that actually it's not just about the traditional authors saying, oh, this is how you do it. The indie authors can say, yeah, but I do this and it works. <laughs> And I think it's interesting for the people in the audience, especially potential writers, to see that there's another way of doing things and they can learn, you know, the authors like to talk about their journeys to publishing. And if someone's sitting in the audience struggling, then they can see that actually there is an alternative. And one of the authors on one of the panels said that actually self-published authors are now earning more money than traditionally published. So, you know, it might give someone in the audience a boost as well to know that actually okay they're struggling but there's an alternative way of doing things so I thought that was quite nice as well mm. now you're in a really good position to judge this I think yes <laughs> um what do you what do you think the general state of health of UK crime writing is because you are very well connected with the indie scene as you say and the trad scene you read absolutely heaps and review loads and you speak <laughs> to loads of authors what's your take i mean because you know this time last year when we were speaking last uh or a bit earlier than that i think it was before that yeah but it? it was before that it must have been because random questions have been going for about half the shows so i mean what, what's your feeling is it is it strong at the moment or is it under pressure because we've seen various presses not necessarily in the crime sphere but nonetheless, press is cross, you know, closing in the indie Both, side of things. Yeah, all sorts. Yeah. And also, I think the traditional publishers aren't taking on as many people as they were. So, what's your what's your take on it? Um, I mean, I still think that crime fiction strong, and it seems that there's a lot selling. But I think, I think just everything's tough, and I do get the impression that publishing is a really tough place to be anyway. And obviously, you know, like Red Dog closing and stuff was quite a shock actually I, I didn't see that coming I must admit um but I do think crime fiction is still massively popular but I also think that there's more people trying to get into it than ever even after the lockdown when obviously everyone had time to write it seems that that's still going where everyone's still trying to get a deal um and I just don't think they're there I think you know like you say publishers are being more cautious so it seems like it's struggling when perhaps it isn't. It's just there's so many people trying to get deals now that obviously that a lot of people are getting rejected because it's just not possible to take them take them all. That's a good point, actually. More people trying to get the same number of opportunities. So well, it, yeah, that, you're right. Fewer opportunities. Yeah, I, I think I think there is. You know, there's definitely more titles out there than ever. Um, and it's all yeah, I mean, since I've said that I'm writing, it's, you know, the amount of people that have spoke to me saying that they're writing as well or they're trying to get deals and stuff. And I'm like, wow, I never would have known. Um, it's only because I've been open and, and I, yeah, so it's crazy amounts of people now, I think. Yeah, what about, so let's let's touch on that. You've mentioned it. I mean, you, you've written and you're submitting and, and trying to get in. How's that going? And um, how do you feel about the situation? <laughs> I hate it. I hate every minute of it. And I knew it would be hard because I speak to so many authors. And it's so hard and so frustrating. So galling, so soul-destroying. And I think because I'm trying to find a new job as well. So mm. um, in one day, um, a couple of times, I've had a rejection from a publisher and then a, pub- a rejection for a job. 
so that's quite bad on the ego um but yeah I've been going since the end of June and I've had no luck at all so far so it's really tough yeah but we're talking about the self-publishing route though would you not consider I can't afford to is a simple answer to that everyone's Mm. like oh self-publishing is free it's like well it is but not if you want a decent cover and if you want proper editing and then if you want to advertise on Facebook ads and Amazon ads then you need money and you know, I'm not joking when I say I don't have it. I don't have anything. So mm-hmm. I can't afford to self-publish. So I've got to go the traditional route. But I don't want I don't really want to go with a big five publisher. I'd rather go with a smaller. So I haven't applied to any of the big five yet, but I mean I'll take anything <laughs> fussy, but yeah. Mm. No, <laughs> you're right, it is pay to play. It's as simple as that. Mm. And, and that is when it comes to the marketing, as we know only too well. Um so that process i mean you know how do you keep going in yourself because this you said you started in june so we're now what five months into that process how does how does, how does that how do you keep going on that on that process um partly because i've had a few people read my book and say how good it is so i know that i've got something that's worth pushing um and because i want it so much i think it's the only other reason that um, you know, there have been a couple of times when I've been like, oh, this is just, it's doing my head in, I can't. But then I, I submit to someone else, I'm like, no, I'll just give someone else a try. And I, I'm i the one that tells authors to not quit. So then I'd be a massive hypocrite if I'm like, I can't do this anymore. Um, and I'm quite good friends with Guy Gardner and I've nagged him incessantly. So I think if I was to say I'm, I give up, he'd be like, no. You didn't let me give up, so would not, <laughs> and he wouldn't let me. He would want me to prove that I'm submitting to people because he's a sod. So. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're listening, guy. I'm sure he is. He listens to it every week. So you know that's that's fair enough. I mean, yeah, you do as an encourager of writers and as a you know promoter of it in terms of the things that you do with the interviews you do and the the reviews. I guess that that you know you are committed, but you know I I, I admire you for doing that. Mm. Yeah, no, you've got you've got, you've got the passion, and I think that's one of the most important elements, um, in in this yeah and, writing yeah, but, life. But it's interesting, <laughs> isn't it? Because I, we were watching. Um, I mean, it was wonderful to see him on UK, um, Crime Book Club, whatever it's called. Oh, Ian, 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 Sir, Sir, Ian Sir Ian Rankin was on with Samantha, and earlier this week with Sam, and um, you know how much he, even though he's at the pinnacle of British UK crime writing and presumably will always be there, he always says luck still has to play a part well, in the whole process. Well, what was interesting about that was he was talking about how he was a middle-ister for a long time. You know, that I don't know if people know that term, middle-ister. That's basically people who, they get a publishing deal, but they're, they're not given the big marketing budget. They sort of trundle along. Publisher will keep them going, keep publishing their books, knowing that they're not going to make a lot of money through this person. And Ian said, you know, I was a middle-ister for a long time and then it suddenly changed. So, yeah, you know, I I, 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 that struck me as like, wow. <laughs> it's like a given time, weren't there, I think. I think it was the same with Val McDermott. I'm sure she said the same. Um, but publishers had more patience back then to stick with them, um, whereas I don't think that really happens now. <laughs> no, you need a hit. First couple of books or you finished really i mean that seems to be the the, the run of it at the moment or well, you see yesterday on twitter that tina baker's on submission and she's had rejections 
And I was absolutely gobsmacked because, you know, she's what, three or four books out now and they've done brilliantly. She's been on panels at all the festivals and she had rejections. I was like, what? How's that? No, possible? I didn't see that. Wow. That's so, mad. Yeah. <clears throat> that's what I thought. Well, that's, yeah. And that that's an example. I mean, I don't know whether, because she was with Viper. She's Viper, right? isn't it? Right. So are they not interested in picking up the next one? I don't understand that uh, because it has done well. It might be a different type of... Yeah, of course. Perhaps. But uh, we don't know the specifics, but you're right. I mean, that's an established name and and somebody with a profile. Very active. Yeah, she she, she's very, very active on social media and in real life and everything. Absolutely. (laughs) With a genius. Have a hope, Tina. (laughs) (laughs) We're not taking on submissions, but come anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, that's, that's fascinating. I mean, so it is an interesting journey at the moment in terms of from your perspective but the whole industry at the moment I think is really tough for people to get into but even when you're there it's really hard to survive in it as well um at at present and I think you know the the fact is that macroeconomic problems feed back into books because they're a luxury but for you they're a necessity I mean (laughs) there's no question about it um and more more power to your elbow I mean you know if we were to to I mean how much of your, uh, I suppose, you know, given that things are tough, right? We're not denying that. Could you give up books in terms of no. buying books? No question. I mean, I'm quite lucky because I advance read, so I get quite a lot of free books. But then I do feel like I have to give something back to the authors because they need the money as well. So I do try... I mean, my signed book collection, but I've had to cut back on those um, because I can't afford them at the minute. Um, but I still get gifted quite a few. But no, I, I, even if um, I didn't get gifted any, if I didn't have our advanced copies, I I have to have something to read. I have to, otherwise I get twitchy. I don't feel right. I can't not have something to read. So yeah, I'd never, never, ever give up books. Well, I can promise you, as long as we're going, you're going to get offered <laughs> blog tour places with us. So you're going to get, you know, a good stream. <laughs> no, but I have to say, Don- Donna, you're one of the people. You are always one of the first to reply as well. And you're always so enthusiastic. You're like, hell yes, I'm going to read that. Because <laughs> you don't produce bad books. So it's an easy <laughs> That's, uh, well, you know, that's pretty much the aim. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, that's very sweet of you. Um, when um, you're reading across the whole genre at the moment, I mean, what trends are you seeing at the moment? Because we went through, if I can think about it, since we've been publishing, uh, domestic psychological fiction was massive, mm. particularly when we started. Police procedurals are always ticking along. Yeah. And they've kind of, I mean, there's been the, I think there was a phase where everything was really gritty. And then it got a bit like line of duty, yes. Yeah, and then it it started to soften again, and and then now we're in the the sort of bow wave of the Richard Osman cozy mm. sweep. Um, what you, know, you, you read across the, all of those subgenres of crime is is cozy still king at the moment? Queen, even queen, yeah. Well, I don't know. It just seems. Monarch, monarch of the... <laughs> well, monarch it, of the... Cozy. But there's sort of... I'd say that there's still the psychological. There seems to be another trend of dual timeline, World War Two, and present day. I've noticed quite a few of those lately. 
or just dual timeline in general. Um, so that seems to be another thing that's well, I missed that one. Oh, Handy's writing a dual timeline. Really? Well, I've been writing one for God knows how many years. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and I've got an idea for one as well. I saw a picture and I sent it to Guy Gardner and I was like, I need to write a book around this. And he's like, yeah, so it would be dual. It would be uh, like 1945 in their modern day. So, yeah, I don't know why, but <laughs> it's really well. Mm. Well, we just started watching Bodies on Netflix. We watched one episode last night. Right, so that's uh, four time zones so far. I don't know if there are any more to add to it. So we've got late 19th century Whitechapel. We've got 1941, 2023 and 2053. Yes. It's... I mean, it's doing my head in already. Well, I was trying to do spreadsheets at the same time, yeah. so I haven't got I, a clue I'm, what's well, going I on. I can't watch for both of each other. <laughs> I can't explain what's going on if I don't know. Is the honest truth. I mean, it's a struggle every day trying to explain what's happening in neighbours. I know. You know I'm always asking you, aren't I? Like, oh, I don't know who that one is. Oh. I mean, <laughs> let me give you an example, Donna, and I'll give the audience an example. Oh, so in the new neighbours, for those who aren't keeping up, neighbours shut down last year, and then they re- was reanimated by Amazon. And there's this new family who are uh, uh, two mothers and two sons, and now there's a big debate about the paternity. Who was the donor? of one of the sons, right? And Rebecca goes, I don't understand what's going on. It's been going for seven weeks, this whole storyline. What are you doing, love? But the, the, the implication was that his donor was one of his neighbours, and that's just mad. Yeah, okay. Well, I won't go into the details of how we got to that point, but that's the, the, the assumption at the moment. We don't know yet. Yeah, I know. I I do um, bombard you with questions during neighbours, don't right, I? Right, right. Yeah, anyway, I don't know how this relates to a question to, to Donna, actually. The dual timeline. Yeah, the dual timeline. <laughs> well, look, I mean, it's an interesting thing because I work with one in the sense that I was writing or have been writing a series which was partly, you know, 19, started in 1940, and then I was going to transport the character into the present day in a, in a subsequent novel um, with all the things that would entice, you know, someone from 1943 in 2023, quite a lot of fun, I felt. Mm. Um but dual timeline, I mean, you know, you're asking all sorts of, um, I mean, it's suspending disbelief, isn't it? And that's the hard bit, to make it a credible world where this kind of thing can happen. Yeah, a lot of research as well. Um, I mean, even though there's so much information, it's still, you've still got to get it right. Otherwise, someone's going to shout at you and go, that's not right, that's... <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it's interesting you say that because I remember Mark when he wrote Waking the Tiger. Um, so we we tend to give all our books to Brian Price to read anyway because he's he's a very good proofreader, but he also he's just got a brilliant mind for facts. He's just he's like an encyclopedia, Wiki Brian, I think we should call him. <laughs> so <laughs> we gave him Waking the Tiger, and he spotted some minor detail about a cocktail that one of the characters was drinking in one tiny scene, and he said. No, that wouldn't happen. <laughs> what, why wouldn't it happen? I can't remember the details, but he was right. Mark looked it up and he said, oh, gosh, yeah, Brian's right. Well, it's interesting because we've just been reading um, another uh, manuscript for one of our books that we're going to publish next year. And there was a detail in it at the beginning, which was about a clothing label. And uh, and I went sort of went, oh, well, that won't be there because, of course, that label finished in 2000. And there we talk, you know. Right, and it's, this is set in the present day, so there's no way those clothes would have survived that long. And actually, it was a major plot point. But so, that's um, not so, saying anymore. No, 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 no. But I mean, it's <laughs> interesting because you do, I mean, you must read, you read tons. So do you get to the point where 
from based on your knowledge of stuff, do you go, I don't think so. Do you ever hit that point? Um, I'm I'm more um I spot spelling mistakes and things or yeah, occasionally um I think my my best spot was a registration in a JD Kirk book. Um, it was only a few pages, but I'd read on and I'm like, that's not right. That, that was different a few pages back. So I emailed him and said, your registration's wrong, but this book's been out for years. <laughs> and it's like how no one else has ever spotted that. So, and then um, I was reading a Githa Lodge book. And there was a spelling mistake, so I messaged her, but it was a deliberate one. So I was like, oh, okay, fair enough. But then actually later in the book, I found a genuine mistake. So I was so happy because I'd messaged her. And she knew. And then actually, I was like, yes, I found the genuine mistake. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, not really plot sometimes. Um, but not really. No, more spellings and missing words and things. Yeah. I think you must have the best little black book in UK crime at the moment. <laughs> it's the people you can just reach out to and they'll know who you are. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? Well, I messaged... Um, because he can't do it, I don't mind saying, but I messaged Chris Carter to ask if he would do my festival in March. And um, I think it was his agent that replied saying, I'm really sorry. But she put, like, a sad face. Carter is, is, like, I love him anyway. But he's huge. And I was like, yeah, I'll just message Chris Carter and see if he'll come do my little festival in Brighton in March. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty cool, yeah. Oh, it's fantastic! It's a bit like so. Brian, Brian has this magic too because he'll do, he'll get amazing people to write um, quotes for his books. Like, I mean, Peter James for start. Yeah, he just asks them. Yeah, and they say yeah. <laughs> well, well, I mean, said- you know, he did keep Mike Craven out of prison, so I mean, you know, this, this you know, Brian has powers that people just you know. It's because he's so little, tiny and so sweet. And how could you say no to him? Because he's so lovely. Yeah. Yeah, but there's a killer that lies within. You can tell. He's got a twinkle, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. he's got that sort of... You can tell by his books. Like, what the hell? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. He's just pretty brutal in his book. Um, Gentle out exterior. But that's true of so many crime authors um you know that you know reverend richard coles how many people's he killed now i don't well i don't know <laughs> i mean it's getting getting on for for a fair few now he does funeral well, he did funerals presumably so well i think that's, yeah, that's usually part of the job of being a reverend yeah <laughs> absolutely um donna i'm gonna i'm gonna give you a, a this is not a random question by any means but um if you were to if we were to mash up two genres into crime so I'm saying, you know, we've got a crime book, but what other genre should do you think someone should experiment with? Because in a way, um, Doctor Who covered whodunits in terms of science fiction because they were always murder mysteries, weren't they? Mm. Who was killing off who, right? <laughs> you know, that was, that was always the first episode. Seven or eight people would die in the opening episode of any Doctor Who story in the 70s. And the Doctor would suddenly turn up and, and act like Sherlock Holmes. So that's sci-fi. What about fantasy? I mean, you, I, I'm, am I right in thinking you read quite a bit of fantasy as well, Neil Gaiman and people it's, like that? Actually, it's not my genre, but funnily enough, I was speaking about Sarah J. Masks, um, I think this week's podcast, and um, I'm part of Tales and Tuesday, the book group that done Tales and Trent, and the, the woman that runs that is obsessed with Sarah J. Masks. And I've heard about this woman for like three years, and I'm like, oh. and then we've done this um, competition um, to have, well, not competition, like this challenge to read two books that define us. And obviously one of hers was Sarah J. Maas. 
So I'm like, okay, fine, I'll try and read it. So I read a quarter of Court of Thorn and Roses, Akatar, and actually quite enjoyed it. So yeah, I'm not it's not a big fantasy fan, but I have read some. I, I so, you know, because we if you think about it, you know, we've got books writing crime books like Rosemary Schrager, sort of in the culinary setting, and there's a whole genre about, mm-hmm. you know, cooking sleuths. Um I just wonder what's out there. I mean, is but I think it... more romance in crime books. More romance in crime books, yeah, possibly. But then, yeah. yeah, they kind of all have romance. I think fantasy is probably because you've got the new climate fiction, haven't you? Then you've got the sort of slightly futuristic. But yeah, can you imagine having a crime book and then having a dragon come along and just like kill someone by setting fire? <laughs> Definitely a very untapped. <laughs> hope be authors. I hope you're listening. Yeah, that's your next idea. Well, maybe, um, you know, and or I don't know if you got the Hunger Games and then tried to sort of uh, cooking and Hunger Games. <laughs> I don't know. Look, this is the way my brain works. I'm just trying to think what's the next next hot thing. Cats and no, but that's done as well. People well, do pet sleeping. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um... I mean, it's all been done, hasn't it? No, it hasn't all been done. No. I mean, I know that I was offered. Famously, and I've talked about this on the podcast, Leprechaun Erotica as a narration project. So that's obviously been done. But maybe it hasn't been done as a crime book. Um, erotic leprechauns kill each other. Mm. Mm. Or just, you know, try to figure out who's killing the the bigger people. I don't know. <laughs> I'm um, randomly a named character in a book called Erotic Zombies. You are? <laughs> wait, wait, okay, tell us who, what, what does your character do? Um, thanks. <laughs> Again, it's part of Thousand Tuesday, and the author came in. Um, she was American, um, Japanese, and she wanted to write a book about our book group. So she asked if she could use our names. But one of the guys that was particularly asking questions is one of the erotic zombies. So he's the one that has the relationship with the zombie woman, and she uh, pleasures him on the front lawn um, and stuff. Whereas, thankfully, we just think that he's lost the plot and try and get him help. Me and and Claire just agree, but I can't deny my existence in an erotic zombie novel. <laughs> that's that's good. I like that. I think I think we've got the tagline for this episode. Um, I'm in a I'm in an erotic zombie book. <laughs> well, I did start to worry because I've a named character in quite a few books now. I'm really lucky, but the first two, um, one was Sean Campbell, where I was a sex mad MP that takes young boys into my hotel room. Then the next book that I was a main character in, I was selling myself for sex because I couldn't afford my bills. I'm thinking, what? <laughs> What's going on? Why? You know, I yes. don't know if I'm a killer or being killed, but why am I some sex mad person? In these books? Well, here we <laughs> go. This is something zombie. we didn't know about you. Um... <laughs> okay, did you know my my dad is in uh, one of Lewis Hastings' books? Is that right? Yes, by accident. They're just the same name. But I, I, when we were reading the submission, I was like, oh, it's my dad. <laughs> He's a scientist. In- <laughs> well, Graham Bartlett's books have my old boss as his one of his characters, which was weird and is really when I read them, is is his exact name. So I was like, God, that's my old boss. That's odd. <laughs> mm. Yeah, mm. just coincidence. <laughs> so let's think ahead then to you know March. Who have you got on your hit list? Can we say? Um, so have I'm you approached people? Yeah, Simon Penn and Chaos yesterday 
because I've been trying to get this guy for to come on my page for an interview for like three years and I haven't given up because I genuinely like his books and I like him so I'm like no I'm not quitting I'm gonna get you for an interview whether it kills me but I was like ah I'll ask you for uh to come to my festival as well and then I'm gonna ask Imran Mahmood and Tony Kent um yeah, and then I'll see who says yes and who says no. Fantastic. Excellent. Oh, no, that's Yeah, I look forward to seeing and, the, the... And it'll be Brighton again, presumably. Yes. And then people were asking me to travel it because it's Dark Side of Brighton. I can make it Dark Side of wherever. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> sure, that's fine. I'll travel Dark Side of Wolverhampton. Well, it could be like the Lollapalooza tour, couldn't it? I mean, you could you could actually get a coach. Okay, well, yeah, that'd be a little snow, slow, but uh, yeah, you could have a coach load of crime writers. Um, you know, one of those double decker jobbies <laughs> at the, the, uh, with a trailer out the back. I don't know what the trailer contains. Usually, the band equipment, I suppose, but the weapons. You know, and <laughs> it could it could tour the country. Could do sort of a, you know one of those half terms. You could do a week, uh, and just think of the mayhem. That would Especially if somebody died on the bus. Yeah. Then you got a novel. Yeah. And I don't know who I'd blame first. Who, Malcolm Hollingbrake. This, this could be its own locked room mystery. <laughs> Taking the UK's <laughs> top crime authors and one of them oh, bumps off. That yeah, would well, be amazing. All, yeah, they'd all have the inventive ways of killing each other and and they'd all know the alibis and, and stuff. You'd never they? work it out. No, yeah. the police would be truly... Even Graham Bartler, who'd be on the bus at the but time, you know who would, would not be, be able to... It would be Donna, the murderer. Do you think so? Yeah. Actually, no, I like all my crime writers too much. I couldn't. They're all so lovely. No, I think it would be Brian Price. Actually, yeah. No, I think he'll be the one that gets bumped off. <laughs> that would be a twist. <laughs> Maybe. Well, there we go. Look, I mean, we we set you up with a plan now for for, for that, the yeah. for the rest of the next for the rest of the next five years. Um, oh but, God, uh, yeah. Authors, I don't need. I need people to come and and visit. I've got. Um, also in um, March, I've got someone that might come over from Turkey, someone that moved to Canada that's moving back this way. Oh, that's uh, not Morgan Green, is it? Yes. <laughs> and then um, Jess Kitchen, who might be over from Australia again. So it'll be quite, um, yeah, it'll just it's it's mad. Mm. Oh, it's wonderful too. Yeah. Uh, well, listen, um, here you go then, Donna, because this is the point where. <laughs> You've been. You, I think probably why you wanted to come on the program more than anything was to get a face one of these, which is Rebecca's random question. Right. So yesterday I felt like a gin and tonic, but I thought I need an, a reason to have it. Why are you laughing? I was just thought there was stuff of a Tommy Cooper joke or something. I thought I need a reason to have a gin and tonic. Friday isn't enough of a reason, so I looked at what day it was yesterday, and it was National Jellyfish Day. So um, I put this on Facebook. So you may have seen it. I don't know. But I put on, I'm having a G&T because it's National Jellyfish Day. So my question to you is, if you were to invent a day to celebrate anything you like, what day would you create? National Cheese Day. Why? Because I love cheese. (laughs) And it needs more... And just a day where you could have any excuse to eat cheese all day. Yeah, I think. I mean, it probably exists, actually, because, you know, people are weird. But, yeah, off the top of my head, <coughs> it would be National cheese. cheese day. There might actually already be one. You have to look it up. 
and see if there is one, and then you can do a big. I bet there is. Yaha! <laughs> There'll be that bloke from um, Alex from Blur banging on about it. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, or the friend. Well, mine would be National Left-Handed People Born on Christmas Day Day. Nope. I know there's a left-handed day, isn't there? I'm sure. There is, but there isn't a National Left-Handed People Born on Christmas Day Day. That's quite unique. <laughs> actually, maybe a summer birthdays day so that we could actually celebrate when people aren't on holiday and, um, you know, are busy with their kids and stuff. Well, let me... Uh... Sorry to interrupt. Um, let me reveal. He's, uh... National Cheese Day is on so Tuesday, funny. the 4th of June next year. Just for your birthday? Just for my birthday, yeah. Okay, noted. I'll have the summer birthdays day then. Um, the people that have birthdays in August that never get to celebrate because everyone's away. Now, so my I'm... sister would be very a big fan of that because her birthday actually always falls on the bank holiday weekend. So it's not just school holiday when you're on holiday it's a bank holiday weekend as well and she used to sulk every year so it was just not fair yeah my sister's the same um has this the 31st of august and also because it was two weeks after mine so she got to watch me celebrate and then hers was two weeks later and yeah so she hated it <laughs> now she laughs because she's younger than me yeah, it's a tough one what would it? your day be then oh gosh um... you gotta you gotta answer the random question too yeah, I have. You're right. Um, God, that's really got me. Uh, hmm. National hmm. National Open the Door for Someone Else Day. Oh, that's very noble. See, or, or this is my other one, which is another because I will. I am been brought up to do that, and of course, with automatic doors now everywhere, you know, you, you don't have to do it, but. That I would always, I always make a thing of it, even for, you know, particularly for blokes who just like look at me weirdly when I do that, you know. Um, and sometimes you could be. I mean, it was funny because we watched your son the other day. Um, we went to see Lang Lang perform in Manchester, which was fantastic, right? And Josh found himself. He opened the door on the way out of the auditorium at the Bridgewater Hall, and he didn't feel he could let go of it. Um, in case it slammed somebody's face. He was there for about five minutes holding this door open. I was really impressed with him. But my other thing is, national, if someone's wearing a name badge, thank them by name day. Is That's my other a word. mouthful, though. I know it is. I mean, it's not very catchy, but you know what I mean? Because you're in a position, you're in a retail environment as a day job. It doesn't half make such a difference when you're the recipient of someone saying, thanks, so-and-so. Um, to you, I find someone takes that trouble. That's to find why out. I don't wear my name badge. Yeah. No one's ever done it, or people do? Well, people, yeah. Sometimes it's lovely, sometimes it's creepy. <laughs> I was going to say, it can come across as a bit creepy. Yeah, it? I suppose, yeah. I mean, I have a I have a sort of um, regular coffee stop on the way up the M6. So I stop at whichever Keel services I think it is, and there's a Starbucks drive through thing there. And it's the same woman serving most times. And so I know by name, you know, I, I'll thank her. I can see her in the window before I've got to the thing, because I'm on the, the thing, and I say, oh, well, thank you, Helen. And I think that must freak her out, actually. Especially no, she can't I, remember you. <laughs> when it's irregular, it's lovely. I love the customers that I know by name, um, that I've got to know them well enough, but I want to know their name. Yeah, that, that's really nice, actually. And when they come in and greet you by name, that is lovely. Yeah. It does, yeah, it does change your day and your mood. It does. It really does because you're not you you you've been seen. 
I think that's the difference, isn't it? Because in that environment, you can just be part of the, the furniture as people treat you like that. And I found that when I was working at M&S for years, uh, if someone said Adrian to me, because um, I was always a smiley sort of person working on those tills, even though it was rotten as hell standing on your feet all day. Um, it, You know, I, I always made a thing of it. And if someone noticed, then that made my day, really. What about you? What about me? What about your day? I've said it. What was, sorry? My, my day was... Uh, National Left-Handed People Born on Christmas Day Day. Right, so all six of you <laughs> uh, gathering together. Wow, that's going to be like you know Phil Wembley Stadium, isn't it? Anyway, okay. Look, Donna, thank you so much. Um, who have you got coming up on your page on Facebook soon? Have you got anybody lined up? Um, Trevor Belshaw. Um, his new book is out tomorrow, so he wants to come and chat. And then a few people have asked me that I can't remember. Um, I've got the link up on my um tag thing at the top and then every now and then someone will comment and then other people go oh yeah I want to chat to you so I've said that I needed to get Brighton out of the way because I can't even think about it so there's about five I think I need to chase up but try okay. to go. Yeah. well we will uh post that page uh as part of this and um make people aware of where they can find you um on a regular basis good luck with the search for publication and yeah. thank you so much for all that you do for all of us it's really fantastic it's a pleasure thank you for producing brilliant books and keep doing the same so following on from that conversation yes we ought to mention that capital crime is indeed in may oh yes okay uh, you know we, this is almost like a new another news item we can squeeze in to the second half yeah of the show. it does make sense we were yeah i will, I will uh, they've announced their sort of headline acts at um, capital crime and it's being held at the end of May to the 4th of June. Oh, okay, that doesn't clash with anything then. No, I don't it think. doesn't, no. Um, They've but, obviously decided... But that's... Because it's outdoors, isn't it, mostly? That's May half term. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's not, and, and it's not outdoors this time. I think it's um, it's being held in a, in the Leonardo Hotel near St Paul's Cathedral in London. So oh, they've, they've switched right. venue. Okay. So uh, not quite the same. I'm just going to look it up. But, uh, of course... When I try to find it, um, <laughs> it's always the way. Uh, it doesn't. But uh, you, being a professional broadcaster, will be able to cope with it. Well, yeah, up to up to a point. But I will, <laughs> I will, I will now search hard for capital crime. Um, here we go. So, thirtieth of May to the first of June, Leonardo Royal Hotel, St Paul's, London, and uh, they haven't announced all the authors yet. No, they're probably these still. are the headlines, and th- this is because they're trying to sell the early bird um, tickets. Uh, early bird week right here we go the first round of authors and it won't surprise you to hear some of these names it won't surprise me at all go on Anne Cleves who's that no joking (laughs) friend of the show Reverend Richard Coles oh that's interesting they're inviting the uh, clergy in yeah Uh, Kelly Garrett who's an American author Ellie Griffiths Anthony Horowitz oh good scoop basically Brighton is emptying uh, for that uh, (laughs) event Hugh Howie, who uh, has done um, some big things in America recently. Uh, Alex McAlides, um, whose first book was The Silent Patient, which was a massive seller. Ian Rankin. Brackets, sir. Uh, Rob Rinder, not sir. Oh, that, that's uh, the judge blokey off the telly. Yeah, and Irvin Welsh. Oh, the Scottish train man. <laughs> train spotting, yes. yes. And um, various other things. Um 
So, uh, yeah, standard fare, really, uh, for all those big names. Yeah, pretty pretty impressive. It always is. Um, but, you know, it's one of the big three, isn't it, really? It is. Or big four. Should we say big four? Because you've got Harrogate. Bloody Scotland. Bloody Scotland. Bristol. Bristol. And and then the, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, the big four. You're right. They are the, the big four. Yeah. But, um, you know, as we were hearing from Donna, it's coming, you know, her event is running on the rails. I mean, that's pretty... That's getting close to Big Five. <laughs> well, you gave her a very good idea to make her um, festival stand out from the crowd a little bit. Yeah, put it on a coach, turn it into Lollapalooza. And then turn it into a murder mystery. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, that was a little a little out there, but uh, that's the nature of my brain, isn't it? Okay, so... Uh, that was my idea, by the way, but anyway. Or was it? The murder mystery bit. The murder mystery bit. Yeah, coach, <laughs> coach trip for me. Oh, God. You know, you just have to... Yeah, I thought we were going to be in a better mood. No, no, we're not now. <laughs> no, absolutely not. You know, if you can't be professional. Um, anyway, uh, this week we uh, are speaking to. Um, well, I'm just getting over what you just said. Um, we're speaking to Jamie West, who will be nice to me, I'm sure. Yeah, whose book, Death on the Pier? I'm reading it right now. It's really good. I'm enjoying it. Excellent. Set in the 30s in Brighton, actually, again. Oh, right, okay. And the, the theatre world, and it's got some fantastic characters. Jamie works in that world himself, so he he's he's painted the characters brilliantly, I think, so from his experiences, okay. and even what, though a different generation. No, that's good. It's very exciting. And at what point this week are we going to get a message from him saying that he's lost his voice? Because that seems to be happening a lot to all our guests. <laughs> the curse of accepting a podcast. If you're listening, Jamie... Please drink lots of lemon juice, orange juice, and um, stay away from people mm. until we record the interview. Yeah. After that, you can do what you like. Absolutely. <laughs> well, look, I, I don't know what I'm doing this week. And the reason I say that is I do know what I'm doing if if things run smoothly. But as things are not running smoothly for me this week, then I don't know really what I'm doing. And the reason no, that's so- very... Um... <laughs> Cryptic. Yes. For well, them, I know what you mean. Well, the- okay, so my dad's back in hospital. As I mentioned, he had a major, he had a triple bypass and a valve replacement, heart replacement. Um, just over, th- well, it was about three weeks ago now, uh, coming up. And, uh, yeah, he's not well. He's back in hospital. So I just don't know is the honest answer at this stage uh, of proceedings, quite what this week's going to look like. I think our dads are doing that weather Oh, and your thing. dad's been in and out as well. Yeah, so, so. <laughs> yeah, that, he's been in twice. So when your dad's getting better, my dad's in hospital. When my dad's getting better, your dad goes in. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, so that's not been easy. And um, so sort of forward planning and just, you know, deciding what is going to happen is is very difficult. But I have sort of ambitions and goals for this week. Uh, whether or not I get to fulfil them is another question. But uh, you continue to work ridiculous hours. Well, just getting it done, aren't I? Yeah, so, you are. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I do have time off too. Um, we've got eldest child here for reading week, so I might take him and do some rally visiting, like my mum and my dad. And Yeah. Um, but besides that, yeah, it's business as usual. Half term's over. It's bonfire night tonight. Your favourite night of the year. Well, that's why I love living in Norbury, and we haven't heard we haven't heard a single firework yet. Nothing. Yeah. Except the bird going whack against the window this morning, which I did think was a firework. Which, as we look out of the window on the patio, <laughs> there is a dead bird there. And do you know what he said? The first thing he said was, 
Oh, Aki. Yeah, okay. Well, look, she's not in my best books because she's um, put her claws several times through my work, expensive work chair. Thanks a lot, Aki. She was in it last night and it's 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 totaled. Thanks a lot. But anyway. But you can uh, still sit in it, though. Yeah, but it's not the same, is it? I mean, you know, you've got claw marks all over it. It's now a distressed leather, you know, leatherette chair. Yeah, she's done that number as well. No, that's not her. This is all I'm t- pointing to the sofa we sat on, which is this sort of yeah, old brown, yeah, thing, shapeless thing. It's this sofa is twenty years old, so any surprise there that it's got a bit of wear and tear on it. Anyway, look, we we're really disappearing into uh, domestic bliss. Yeah, we don't really need to share all of this. No, yeah. we don't. Okay, so let's finish. On a positive note. Yes. Look forward to the week ahead. And wish everybody a... Um, I can't remember how you start the sentence. Okay. Well, I haven't plugged the website yet. Oh, of course not. Thanks very much for for running that bit. Um, (laughs) This is, uh, yeah, descending, isn't it? Thanks a lot for for joining us again on the Hovcast Book Show. If you can put up with our squabbles for (laughs) another week, join us again next week. As we say, Jamie West is our guest next week. Uh, in between times, don't forget to check out our multiple websites, uh, three of them, in fact. The first being hobeck.net, which is our uh, main home. Then there is archpub.net for our publishing services arm. Holiday uh, home. <laughs> and, <coughs> excuse me, Adrian Hobart with a crackly voice, uh, narration.com uh, is our other website. Soon but, to be replaced by AI. Yeah, thanks so much. <laughs> Uh, and uh, so between now and then uh, I've been Adrian Hobart I've been Rebecca Collins and we'd like to invite you to join us again next week but in between times have a wonderful and creative week bye bye you've been listening to the Hobcast from Hobeck Books with Adrian Hobart and Rebecca Collins you can find the show notes at our website www.hobeck.net You can also use the exclusive Hobcast discount code for any of the products at our Hobeck online store. Just enter the code HOBCAST20 for a 20% discount. Don't forget to subscribe to the Hobcast and feel free to contact us with any feedback. Until next time, remember our motto, Trad Values, Indie Spirit. Indie Spirit.